0: Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. We're here today with Dr. Kimberly Quinn, a professor of cognitive psychology at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. She teaches courses on Minecraft, and that's Minecraft with a D, and Cognitive Psychology as she speaks at various colleges, universities, and organizations on a variety of topics related to optimal functioning and life satisfaction. She's done TED Talks including No Need to Fix Me, I'm Not Broken, and the double-edged sword, ADHD, and impulsivity. Dr. Quinn has her own weekly podcast called Mindcraft Podcast and a Minecraft YouTube channel. I encourage you to check those out if you have a chance. Both are aimed at striving for optimal well-being and life satisfaction. She also writes for Psychology Today on topics related to positive psychology. And she's an avid skier who loves really good chicken wings and watching I Love Lucy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we begin, I just want to remind you to please take a chance to subscribe to this channel if you're enjoying Mind Tricks Radio, and please leave a good rating and a like in whatever podcatcher you're listening to these episodes on. It really helps, and I really appreciate it. Kimberly, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: So am I. You know, I've ever since I discovered you, I've been following some of your posts and listening to some of your podcasts and things that you're up to. And I have to say, you are just like a bundle of positive energy. So I've been really excited to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it.
1: Well, thank you, Aaron.
0: To begin with, we're going to talk about this concept of limitlessness and optimizing oneself These are the kinds of things that you're that you talk about in your classes and in the work that you do but to begin with i'd like to start by hearing a little bit more about your personal background and pathway to becoming a professor in cognitive psychology and doing this work that you do
1: okay and just i guess rather quickly i started out pre-med as an undergrad i was planning to be an md i was fascinated with the mind And the heart and was thinking, you know, brain stuff and, you know, being cardiologist. And my senior year, I just, just knew that wasn't the path. And I ended up going to graduate school at Boston College, becoming a therapist. And that evolved into a doctorate, actually a second master's degree, and then a doctorate in cognitive psych, because I'm, Aaron, I'm absolutely fascinated by the mind. Just I'm fascinated by how we are the authors of our own script the captains of our own ship and i sort of came into that and i just couldn't get enough of it and that's sort of what got me branching out into you know the classes and the in the youtubes and the podcasts and the psychology today blogs because it's all uh i guess a personal life mission to uh spread as much positivity as i possibly can while my my short my my brief stay on this earth while also i guess helping people to see their value. Let's talk
0: about Minecraft for a moment. Now, Minecraft is Minecraft with a D. When I (laughs) first heard about Minecraft, I was thinking, wow, she's teaching a class in Minecraft. And that sounds pretty bold for a psychologist. But this is Minecraft with a D. So tell us a little bit more about that.
1: It's just funny that you say that, Aaron, because I actually had a student just last year who thought it was mind, mind with an E right. craft. I, I had a gamer in there. It took him to like week three to figure it out. And he stayed through the whole class and became one of my best students. It's just kind of funny. Um, so right. mind craft is about optimal human functioning and life satisfaction. And I, I designed it myself, had a ball doing it because I was given carte blanche to make whatever I wanted. And so basically it touches all the... All the big ones, you know, I would say the foundations uh, are mindfulness, of course, which we practice every single day before the class starts, followed by a gratitude. The students keep a gratitude journal. And then uh, one of the big biggies besides those two is the happiness advantage by Sean Aker. So the whole the idea of how, at least in the States anyway, I love my country. This is just true. <laughs> that yeah. we have it quite backwards as far as uh you know the the formula for set for for success. Whereas, you know, once I'm successful, then I'll be happy. When in reality, it's the exact opposite that's true. Only once we're truly happy can we be successful. And so, Minecraft then gets into all kinds of passion work. And uh, uh Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is another book. So. Um, sort of touching on such a need for meaning and purpose, because without those things, it's kind of a straight road to depression, at the very least sadness. It's obviously a lot bigger than that, but that's the basic gist of mindcraft is becoming the boss of your brain, basically learning that thoughts come first, then followed by feelings. So by, you know, changing our thoughts, we can then change how we feel and behave and then live a better life.
0: So it sounds like you employ a lot of typical types of techniques we use in cognitive therapy, the idea of connecting thoughts to feelings and to actions. And you're also weaving that in, in sort of a positive psychology kind of uh, relation. So can you tell us a little bit, like, what what is the definition of positive psychology? Because I know that's, that's weaved into what you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, the ology part is obviously the study of, right? right. And psych is the mind and positives, the opposite of negative. So it's basically the study of keeping the mind positive. And I think sometimes people think that there's some big algebraic equation or something to do this. And it, and it really, it really isn't. And so, um, I know, uh, your listeners can't can't see my hands right now, but often to students I'll say, is it easy? Yes. And I do this. Is, is it simple or sorry, easy? No. Is it simple? Yes. So is it that simple? Yes. If we want to know what our thoughts are going on, pay attention to how you feel. You can't feel anxious without thinking anxious thoughts first. That's just how it is. And sometimes they'll get confused, Aaron, um, because they'll say something like, you know, cause referring to automatic thoughts, you know, like with obsessive compulsive thinking. And I'll say, here's the thing. If you removed Jonathan's brilliant mind with kindness and anesthesia and put his <laughs> and put his brain up on the shelf in a big lovely fishbowl of formaldehyde, what would Jonathan be feeling? And they all kind of look at me. Okay, answer nothing, because it all starts with the brain. And so I think people often look at, at the brain as some kind of tyrannical organ or or like something that, that betrays us and sells us short and you know, and causes us to not, you know, to forget things and to not feel well. And and really the the idea with positive psychology and Minecraft is to flip the, like flip the script on that and embrace the mind as your very best friend and train it like you would a two-year-old or a new puppy.
0: You talk about this concept of being a limitless person. And I'd like to spend the bulk of the rest of our time talking about this topic. So first off, what is a limitless person? What do you mean by that, Kimberly?
1: Oh, it's such a wonderfully huge question, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> you know, psychologists
0: <laughs> learn to make open-ended questions, right?
1: Yes, yes. Limitless person, and we want to first tap into authenticity, which is the the real person underneath all that operating at. Let's just say their highest vibration. You hear a lot of that out there. Mm and in order to to be on this authentic path and to be limitless, number one is is the individual has got to know their own value. You've got to know your own self-worth. You know, it's kind of like we're we're born into this world as little wet infants with this feeling of original worthiness, right? Just picture a toddler you know, like a one-year-old at the beach, trot, trotting along and plunking down on a blanket, sticking her hand into somebody else's goldfish crackers. She just assumes 100% that she's loved and cherished and invited to the blanket party, right? Yeah. And so somewhere along the line, we lose that, right? And we just kind of spend the rest of our lives trying to get it back. And, it, and it's it's not like it left, it's that it needs to be uncovered, like an archaeological dig, because the authentic self you know, has maybe slid out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat, the back seat, or maybe even the trunk. So the first thing is to really get in a place where we know our own worth because nothing's going to happen without that. Um, a, li- uh, a limitless person also, once they know their self-worth, and we're not saying perfect, that's a bad, bad word. We're better off dropping the F-bomb than using that word. So we're talking yeah. about, you know, we're all a work in progress, but we're, you know, we're on the path to knowing our original worthiness. And this person who knows their worth becomes a very good boundary setter. And it's authentic, right? Because this person is able to say, I'm happy with doing this, this, and that, but not this. And when you're authentic, you don't feel rude about it. You you just because you know your own value. And actually, I'm sure you know Brene Brown. hmm I'll tell you later, sure. but Oprah's one of my closest friends. She just doesn't know it. And Brene <laughs> Brown is also in our in our friendship circle. Yeah. And as you know, Erin, um, Bre- Brene did a lot of research on this. And she found that some of the best boundary setters were people that had a really high self reported value of their own value because they know where they end and somebody else begins. Kind of the opposite of codependency, right? So when we value ourselves, we can value other people better too. So that's another thing.
0: When we're talking being about authentic self, you're talking about knowing value, and when you know value, you can set appropriate boundaries. It sounds like because you know when you are allowed to stick up for yourself and hold your own space and how to do that with others. What would an inauthentic person look like? Like how would that person be living? if we were to compare like what is not so an authentic way to relate to yourself and the world compared to a more authentic person?
1: Fake is the first word that comes to my mind if you really want to jump there. And I don't want to say it with judgment. I want to say it with observation. Yeah. And as a psychologist, you're well aware of the whole development of the false self. People are walking around in, and they're inauthentic as of right now along their path, right? They're just not in the place of authentic yet. They typically don't know who they are. And there, we, we tend to create false selves, as you're well aware. You know, that's basically, okay, there, there's authentic and then there's the evil twin, the ego. So somebody who's in an inauthentic place is really more about satisfying the ego than they are about the sort of genuine feel-good stuff that happens for the authentic. So the authentic likes approval, likes kudos, Likes to people to say nice things and com- and you know compliments. Differences the authentic person doesn't need it, and they don't go looking for it. The inauthentic person is constantly chasing external approval, and really needing all that needing that external approval fixed because that's just where they that's just where they are. They don't know better yet
0: because they're not comfortable with their own sense of self worth and self value. They are looking for others to validate and approve them. And that makes them inauthentic because their approach to the world around them is based on their expectations from other people and not within themselves.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it's obviously, there's a lot of depth to this whole discussion we're having, which is great because I love deep conversations, but just like in anything, there's a, there's a spectrum, right? For, Mm -hmm. we think autism sexuality, gender, playing the violin, you know, whatever. So if we have in a, inauthentic on this side and authentic on this side, it's just it's a spectrum. So people may have had things happen early on in childhood, as you're well aware, trauma and different things that maybe got them off track. And I I think so I'm definitely not saying it with judgment. I'm I'm saying that as human beings, we all want to feel good. Sure. And so somebody who's inauthentic at this moment and just starting out, let's say on the trail towards being authentic, is just getting their feel good fixes via the ego instead of the authentic self. And one is not long lasting and not obviously is healthy. And one is is longer lasting. And it's something we gradually, I think, come into.
0: It's so interesting that the way that you talked about it when you first started about the child who's on the beach and she's just enjoying her day. She's dipping her fingers in the ocean, playing in the sand, eating her Cheez-Its or whatever it is, not very self-conscious about what she's doing. And then it seems like as the child grows up, then these, these layers come in that lead to this inauthenticity. And also, I want to acknowledge what you said. This is no judgment about this. It's just acknowledging that we've got all this crap that's piled on from our upbringing and interacting with the world around us. And then I guess in, in adulthood, it's trying to undo some of that and get back to that one year old child.
1: Totally. You know, it's just sometimes like I use the car example and I, your, your, your authentic self is always there, right? She, he or they, or whomever, they're just waiting to be invited, right? The authentic self is waiting just to be invited. And, you know, maybe in the backseat or, or the trunk. And so it really is is really just, like I said, the an archaeological dig, which is actually, I think, kind of enjoyable. It's kind of, you know, enjoyable to uncover, you know, and, and figure out really who, who the real you is, in my opinion. And one other thing, Aaron that we didn't mention is a big part of it. Uh, at least for me. And of course, a lot of the great the great thinkers say all this. My dear friend, Oprah, like I mentioned, Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all saying the same thing that leaving religion and 100% out of it, that's not where I'm going. Uh, but to acknowledge your authentic voice. So when we're talking to the universe, if that's God for you or source with a capital S or higher power, whatever. The authenticity thing is really not gonna happen until we acknowledge this connection that connects all of us That's bigger than we are because that the only way we can really land in that wonderful, meaningful, purposeful, passion place where we're in that state of flow, like the work of Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, I'm sure you know about Cognitive Flow Guy, we are able to do that one thing we were meant meant to do on this earth. That connection, acknowledgement, and listening to that inner voice is a, a huge number one first box to check.
0: How does one do that, Kimberly? Like, I know you've been a clinician in your career, and you probably talked to a lot of people. And I have a lot of people coming into my practice saying they don't know who they are. They're trying to figure that out. What are ways in which people explore that?
1: Well, I think it's important to to really listen. So again, it does take a, a belief into something bigger. Label it what you want, right? But bigger than we are. Well, Oprah would say is listen to the whispers. You know, before they turn into bricks, she actually Mm. says. So when we're talking to the universe source, whatever your name for it is, sort of that's the universe kind of talking back. And uh, Minecraft, for example, and I think positive psychology, because they're very related, are about being in alignment, right, where the insides match the outside. So what I mean by that is having our personality and our own signature strengths in alignment. With that divine connection. And when that happens, you've got the world by the ass because it just starts to, all the abundance in the world, it starts to kind of happen. And limitless people know this because they are free of self doubt. Or if it starts to to creep in, they know to talk back to it because they know of this divine connection and that there is no end to what we can do. There is no end. A limitless person knows that. Maybe if they have like a, this much of a self-doubt, I, I picture Willy Wonka in The Chocolate Factory. Did you see the movie?
0: Of course.
1: Right, of course. So at the very end, when Charlie gets the, you know, he wins it and everything, and they blow through the glass ceiling, that's what I picture a limitless person doing. If that grain of sand of doubt starts to show up, they're like, oh, I don't think so. And they just, yeah. they they blow right through it because when you're in that state of cognitive flow, like me High would talk about, There's no one else you want to be in that moment, nowhere else you'd rather be in that moment. And at least for me, because I've experienced it, you just feel like you are one with everything around you. You're at one with the the blog you're doing. You're at one with the podcast you're involved in. You're at one with um, whatever artistic thing you're creating. You're at one, let's say, Michael Phelps or um, whoever. You're at one in the water. You're in it to win it. You don't care about anything out here. Right. And so. That is what I would definitely say as a limitless person, not that you have to be an A-lister. you know. We can all feel that in our garage if we play in a band that lights us up every week.
0: Right. So it's not based on accomplishments or achievements. It's really based with, it's an internal process of how you feel and how you are allowing yourself to enjoy and experience the world around you without feeling like you're inhibited or limiting yourself is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, you're not inhibited at all. I'm sure you're aware that there's a reason. Like when that cognitive flow happens for the limitless person, it's similar as how I explain it to my Minecrafters. It's kind of like you're a football fan.
0: Uh, I'm a sports fan. Football is not so much my thing. I'm more into soccer.
1: Okay, well, yeah, I think it would still work though. Yeah. Because you're gonna have that person on the team that blocks, right? So I'm personally picturing a quarterback headed for the end zone, and you know how 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 he would have you know blockers getting into... the. So when we enter into cognitive flow, that's how I explain it neurologically to my students: is the other neurons, know you're honed in, you've like pulled into your podcasting or you're being in a band or you're whatever you're doing, and then other neurons are blocking all the other stimuli away from you. So that's how you get in the zone, as we say. That limitless people get in.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And I want to just go back to another thing that you said that I thought was very interesting, the idea of the whispers. And I imagine this is what Oprah means by it is that there are these whispers and you can sort of push them down and ignore them or you can pay attention to them. They're there and they're sort of like your true authentic voice trying to get a message to you. And you need to pay attention to that because- they sort of know what you probably what you want to need, but it's just so easy to push them down and find reasons to not listen to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, Aaron, that, you know, we just have such a, you know, a media saturated, fast paced society that basically we're all kind of zipping around like gerbils on crack. Yeah. And we're not listening, you know, and I have this a very good friend of mine, actually, who's, I'm doing some work with in podcasts and things. He did his dissertation way back when on synchronicity. And he's talked to me a lot, a lot about, um, like Oprah says, the whispers. Right? He says, watch for the green lights, and mm. you know by how you feel. You know by how you feel. Like if you've ever had that meant-to-be situation where you're with a person at that exact time, or, yeah. or with you know landing the job, or with whatever, whatever. The green lights just line up. And you want to follow those when they happen to you. I get a chill when I see them sometimes, you know, metaphorically speaking. And also it's true with the, with the red lights. You know, if anybody's ever tried to hang on to a relationship too long, and not, not, not necessarily even romantic. It might be a friendship or something, but all of a sudden it's maybe there's no growth there or it's even gone the other way where it's not working and it's not super healthy, yet we might want to dig in because we'd rather be alone than, or sorry, rather not be alone then have somebody who's not good for us. And, And those are red lights. And then all of a sudden that blows up in some kind of way. And I, so I think that the red light green light thing is also similar to the whispers and it comes, it's really about honestly, about being in receptive mode, you know, where we're, where we are acknowledging that there's abundance just everywhere. Yeah. Right. And and to get our headset, get our mindset, which mindset is everything, right? Where we're feeling our self-worth, our personality and our signature strengths, what we do that we know we do well, and then be open to what my next move is.
0: So a limitless person is paying attention and aware of the green lights and the red lights. And if the green lights are there, they're going for it. They're hitting that gas. And going 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And if the red lights are there, they're paying attention and saying, this probably isn't working for me. I got to shift up and try something different.
1: Yeah, spot on, Erin. I would say that, uh, of course, the two of the foundations I was saying to you earlier of what I do with my students are two things that limitless people do every day of their lives. And the one is being mindful, which, you know, sometimes people say meditation. No, mindful is about being in this moment right now, because that's all we've got. You can be mindful skiing, mindful, you know, doing the dishes, mindful in the shower, mindful anywhere. You don't have to sit like a Zen monk in a cave. No offense to monks. I love monks. <laughs> but it, but mindful is that that limitless person practices being right here, right now. So they have this kind of like a dog has has hearing or a dolphin has this amped up hearing, right? Because we work so hard at being in this moment and not being yanked into the past that's long since over or pulled into the future, which isn't here yet. And the other one that limitless people practice every single day is gratitude because in a cognitive sense, this is neurological, right? Mm-hmm. Every single thought that crosses our mind expands if we allow it to. And as I'm sure you know, that the research-based time frame for that is 17 seconds. So long, longer you allow a negative thought to stay and it hits that 17-second mark, it's going to be much tougher for you to boot out of the attic, meaning your mind. So the limitless person is aware of that and very quickly shifts out of negative thinking and into a place of appreciation and gratitude. And the universe responds to everything. So that's positive, negative, or anywhere in between. So when we're saying, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, with those words, I am grateful. So the neurons repeat, repeat, repeat. That person then attracts, we know this for sure, right? We can see it on fMRI. It's not just touchy feely. Um, Attracts more positive to them. And also limitless person, because they are in the moment and they value, they value their life minutes so much, knowing that these are, these have a cap on them, right? And at a fabulous 57, I'm aware that there are fewer in front of me than behind (laughs) me. So the limitless person knows that. So a limitless person is, does these three things. They're mindful, they're grateful, and they spend their life minutes as if they are cash.
0: Yeah. You talk a bit about the mindset of limitless people. We've talked some about that already. You have several examples that I've picked up that I think would be interesting to talk about along the lines of what we've been discussing. So the first one that you list is uh, our thoughts create our reality. Tell us a little bit about that. What is that mindset?
1: Well, we turn thoughts into things. I mean, we know that. Look at everything around us. Like, you know, the the house you're in, the cars you're looking at, Those had to be thought of, or the Harry Potter books, I'm a big fan, those Mm -hmm. had to be thought of before they could be, you know, typed out, bound, and sold. So right there is the proof in the pudding, as they say. And so we do, we literally do create our lives because thoughts come first, followed by feelings, followed by actions or behavior. So therefore, learning to become the boss of our brain is really our number one priority how do I say this to my students? Oh, I say to themselves here, there are only two choices, right? Either we control our thoughts or, and then I pause and they kind of look at me and then they'll say, or our thoughts control us. And I say, which is more pleasant. And it's like, you know, okay. So that's basically that becoming the boss of our brain is key. I even have little buttons that say that.
0: Yeah. How about life happens for us and not to us?
1: Oh, I love that one. I feel like I have to give somebody credit for that because that is not mine. <laughs> I think it's Wayne Dyer. Yeah. Anyway, I, I also love him. Um, yeah. Because sometimes, Aaron, I, and I'm sure you're aware, and, and you know, you deal with clients all day. I'm sure you hear it a lot. It can be so easy for us to get caught up in petty behavior. And you know, there's obviously the really deep, severe stuff, like spectrum thing. But let's just talk about everyday workplace. He said, she said, they said, rah, 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 right? Yeah. And, you know, all that kind of thing, or or maybe it's a little bit more, maybe, maybe somebody manipulated and positioned themselves to kind of steal a promotion out from under you or whatever. And it's so easy to get caught up in how did this happen to me? When in reality, everything's unfolding as it should, we can choose to go that route. Why did this happen to me? Right. Versus realizing that life happens for us, not to us. So often when we look back in retrospect, right, in our lives in general, the dots all connect. We can't see it when we're in it. Like, why did I lose that job? And that minute we're distraught, we're maybe sobbing our guts out, we're in panic and fear and how am I going to pay for things? Then you look back 10 years later and you wouldn't have landed the next job you had if that one didn't. And so I think part of it is realizing that even it's a tough sell when you're in the mud, right? Yeah. Realize that the dots will continue to connect. It's all unfolding as it should. And when you look back at this, this will also have worked out for a reason.
0: That is such a great point, uh, Kimberly. I see that all the time in my practice with patients who are just kind of quagmired in a situation that they feel is all consuming and seems like it's never going to end and never going to get better. And of course it can, and it does most of the time. And then they're looking back and they're saying, why was I so worked up about that? And life is, I mean, unless we're going to have more of kind of a Buddhist cyclical view of the universe in our lives, there's a linear path, right? And where you're at right now is not necessarily where you're going to be tomorrow or a week later. And you actually have some control over what direction that's going to go. You can be an agent in that.
1: With with the mind, right? And actually, you bring up the whole Buddhist philosophy. There's one thing I think about. Buddhism that, that also fits here, Aaron, which is the, you know, keep the mind open to everything and attached to nothing part, because also that to us, for us with life thing, if yeah. we, if we are sort of in a habit, because that's what it is, an unconscious behavior, right? And if we're in a habit of, see- of seeking out outcome-based happiness, we're going to continue to be disappointed and sad. Yeah. Because when we attach all this meaning, you know, of this has this party has to go this way, this partner has to change that habit. This it doesn't work that way. Versus putting out your best. I want that wonderful person to be able to share my life with. I don't know who that is yet, maybe or whatever. Make a workplace example or whatever, but to not have all the details there, you know, and and not be so attached to the outcome because the you brought up the Buddhist philosophy they talk about um attachment as being bringing on suffering and so that fits in with the life doesn't happen to us but for us that fits beautifully with that i think
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense that there's going to be a future for us and we don't know exactly how it's going to go it may go the way we thought it might and it might be completely different but as it unfolds, there are limitless op- opportunities and possibilities there and to not be attached to how it needs to go.
1: The other part of that that's sort of key with the mindset thing that you brought up was um, the skill set of, of reframing. So the fact that life does not happen to us, it happens for us. You know, sometimes terrible things happen, right? Life throws curveballs and things. And no. I think another thing, or I know another thing that limitless people do is they have their black belts in reframing or Marty, Martin Sogman would call post-traumatic growth, right? So we can look at whatever nasty curveball happened, realize we can't change it no matter how legit and intense, right? And then find a way to make it meaningful and grow from it.
0: How about the concept that operating from a place of lack only attracts more lack? And I think you refer to this as deficit motivation.
1: You don't want to be coming from a place of trying to fix yourself you know because really we're spiritual beings having a human experience so nothing is wrong with any of us we're just human beings producing results there's no such thing as failure there's no such thing as mistakes we're just human beings producing results that guide us in a different direction we want to be motivated towards something and not away from something
0: so if somebody is motivated from a place of lack and attracting more lack what would that look like
1: you know what? The easiest example with that one, I think, is money, because it's one a lot of people are focused on. When people are having what we would call a scarcity mindset, I don't have enough for this bill, I don't have enough for that bill. There seems to be everybody else has money, and I don't have money in it. The universe again hears every single thought. They, you know, they all expand. Lack attracts more lack because think about it, the universe is gonna say, okay. They're in a place of lack. I'm going to send them more because we're also not appreciating anything. So if you're already not grateful for what you do have, why would anybody give you more? Look at it as a Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever gift, birthday gift. And somebody gives you this beautifully wrapped gift with a shiny gold bow, and they walk in and they hand it to you. You say, OK, thanks. I'll, I'll set it right here for later. I'll take a look at it in a while. Would you give that, other, that person a present again? I mean, <laughs> probably. Right. Probably not. Right. And so it's really a situation of that. And also with the situation with money, people can block abundance in all sorts of ways that are usually re- d- directly related to self- to valuing ourselves. Because if you think having a lot of money is bad, guess what you're not going to get? You know, if rich people, if you think rich people are jerks, guess what you're not going to get? And it can be a different example, but we have to really take a look at what the dialogue is going on with the scarcity mindset Because that is a huge blocker to authentic joy, definitely.
0: Yeah, I could see another way that that could go is if somebody has that scarcity mindset with money and they're working really hard to make money and accumulate money, but they're never spending any of it on something that they might enjoy. And I'm not talking, you know, being irresponsibly spending all of your money and not being able to pay your bills, but this idea that, like, I can't enjoy my money then you're missing out on the experiences in life and the opportunities that might really give you fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction because you're too busy hoarding and not using that in a way that would contribute to your life.
1: Yeah. And it, you're you're again, this goes back to because the self-worth, you know, the worthiness thing is so huge, yeah. Aaron. When we are not wanting to, let's let's say we sit down in a restaurant, and we say, I'll, "I'll have the house wine, if you even have any." But in that, maybe the special is two dollars more, but ooh, that just seems like too much. That's yeah. just sending out a message like I don't value myself. I work, but I can't spend a two dollars extra on a glass of wine. And yeah. I'm not saying be reckless either, not at all. You yeah. know, and it, there's just all kinds of um, things like that. I'm thinking of who else? Somebody else that I'm I feel like the, has the credit for. Oh, uh, Louise Hay, I think it is talks about when. People have that scarcity mindset and they're constantly playing the lottery and things like that. And the message is I only deserve to have abundance and be wealthy if it's a fluke chance and I win. The other thing that goes with this too is, you know, realizing that you got to shake the guilt. If you're going to have any of this, you got to shake the guilt, guilt, a gigantic waste of emotion. So if we picture a pizza, you know, a big circle with all the pieces Uh, and And if you think I had one piece and I really want to have a second piece, and if I take a second piece, somebody else is going to be without theirs. Okay. In reality, that's a pizza party. And if that's true, then you should ask around the room, did everybody have one before I take two? The universe doesn't work like that. It's infinite. So you want to shake the guilt that if all kinds of abundance lands in my lap and I've got a partner and a house and kids and a car and square footage and I can travel, that does not take away from anybody else.
0: When you're talking about the guilt, I'm wondering if that's an example of clearing out the brain attic. That's something you talk about too, getting rid of the junk, clearing out the brain addict.
1: Oh, totally. Oh, you spot yeah. on my, Aaron, you did your homework. Wow. You're just like, I love this. I'm going to take some I interview t- skills from you.
0: Oh, well, I told you, I I just became really fascinated with all of your work. You're just doing such incredible stuff. So I I did do my homework. So the brain addict, tell us about the brain attic and getting rid of the junk.
1: Oh my God. I could love, I, okay. So another, I just have to do that when this comes to me, the brain addict, I use a book called Mastermind in Cognitive Psychology, which is by Maria Maria Konakova. So she talks about the brain addict. And so just like any other addict, it's, it gets crapped up with all kinds of things we don't use or need, right? And yeah. guilt is certainly one of those. Clear it out because guilt has a job, right? Guilt stops us hopefully from punching somebody in the beak, or spreading rumors, or, you know, that it has that job. But after that, the job's over. Hopefully you throw some, some love and forgiveness at it. And that's it. Because it takes kind of that pizza pie thing. It takes a big slice out of that as far as our energy goes. So if you're living and residing in that guilt, you know, let's say even 20 minutes a day, that's 20 minutes it doesn't go to your partner or your, you know, kind of thing and get rid of it. And the other thing is that guilt is closely related to shame, but they're different. And shame... I think honestly, Aaron, you and I both be out of jobs. we fix that problem because shame is is the number one, right? So guilt says, I made a mistake, right? It's an action. I made a mistake. Whereas shame says, I am the mistake. That's the feelings of being flawed and defective and broken and all that stuff. And certainly that's the number one for toxic emotions in, in the human world. But if we can clear out all that junk, another, some more to clear out, which would be like the cobwebs on these would be resentment. There's no such thing as a, as a justified resentment. Just get rid of it. It's over. Go. You know, and all, all the, you know, those t- envy, jealousy, all of it. Because only when we get get rid of the junk in the attic, can we create, you know, wide open feng shui mind to be all who we were meant to be and really, really fully give of ourselves to the world. We can't give what we don't have. And in order to keep ourselves filled up, right, we, we have to create the space and allow all that natural goodness to flow. It's kind of like, like this, Aaron Oprah says this too, because we're such good friends. She says, <laughs> since we can't give what we don't have, right, she says, picture the cup full, right? That full cup is what's yours. What overflows is for everybody else.
0: So I'm picturing the junk in the attic as piling up in there in the attic. From stuff that happens earlier in your life, right? That the shame develops from relationships, attachment injuries, and brainwashing one gets from the world around you as you're growing up. And then it's sitting there. And then it so easily then leads to people holding on to resentments, feeling guilty. As you mentioned, a lot of this stems from a core of shame and clearing that out. Like you said, working on that, getting rid of it allows one to have that space to be a limitless person.
1: Yes, Aaron, because here's the thing. Limitless people drop their stories like they're dropped. It doesn't mean you don't process, right? To feel is to heal. You got to go through it and process it. Then it's like catch and release fishing. Once you kind of feel how slimy and bad and gross and prickly, it feels you let it go because yeah. limitless people are not identifying with their old stories any longer. They're free of them. Now, as you know, you deal with trauma every day, I'm sure. So the the mind doesn't work like we just delete memories and things like that. It doesn't work like that. But once you process it and stop identifying with that old story, like it's some kind of badge of honor, you're free. So it's kind of like once you process something in therapy, like you do every day, the bones are left of the skeleton kind of, but there's no meat. There's no power anymore. So a limitless person has reclaimed their power. It doesn't go to all these people who might not even be on this earth anymore. Somebody who's still identifying with their junk in the attic and reliving all that bad stuff is keeping it all alive. The limitless person has dropped that story a long time ago.
0: Right. Yeah. As I've heard patients say before, like when they're thinking about their relationship with their parents who may have long been passed away, they'll say things like, you know, my dad is still living inside my head telling me to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm allowing him to have space there. That's not what I want for myself at this point.
1: So kick him out.
0: Exactly. Yeah. This is an interesting one. What do you mean by this idea that we should know that we are always single, even if we are married or we're in a relationship with another person?
1: Okay. And I will have to, t- I, and I've been with my beloved for 30, I'm not going with the math here, but 30 something years. So I'm all about mutual, mutual dependence. Also not mm-hmm. saying we're perfect. Hear me the whole world, whoever's listening. However, just as I'm sure you're, you're aware, Aaron, with, you know, codependent issues in reality, we sometimes you'll see in that in the, when it's in the, you know, Hollywood does this with relationships and movies, you complete yeah. me. That's yeah. all. Codependent garbage, right? And so right. sometimes you see, like the the middle school kids will wear the two half hearts, and one's gotten the other the best friend has the other heart. <laughs> That's kind of like so. So that so really, we are all single in this. We're not talking about we're committed. My husband and I are very very committed, and yet we are two separate people, two separate imperfect people. You know, challenging each other and loving each other and enjoying life together and blah 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 blah. But we are still two separate individuals and that's what I meant by that
0: and why is that important for a limitless person
1: because it's so important to to stay tuned in tapped in turned on to really get your own limitlessness your own individuality that that is all you you're sharing it with who you choose whom you choose to ch- share it with but in reality we come in this world alone and we go out alone I mean that's right and and to yeah. really Just sort of be feeling very, very good in your skin and just feeling, you know, your full blown, authentic, high vibe self. There are no threats to the limitless person. When you're feeling authentic, the people in your life are there because you want them in your life and they want you. You don't have these needs, kind of like they went with the approval because the authentic person feels so whole and complete on their own that it's, you don't have those kind of strings pulling at you anymore.
0: Yeah, well, the way I'm hearing it is sort of like, if your identity is kind of enmeshed with somebody else, then you don't have the space within yourself to really expand and experience the world as an individual there, and then share it with your partner. Like you said, you can be fully committed to somebody for many, many years, but the idea is to share yourself and what you're gaining with your partner, enhance each other's lives in that particular way.
1: Yes. And, you know, obviously you said it better than I did, Aaron, obviously. um, and, and when the, when there's a genuine loving situation, nobody's saying anything's perfect. That's such a bad word, right? Though in a healthy relationship, your partner's going to want that for you. Yeah. You know, cause it, it cause it, it, remember there's authenticity and there's the evil twin, the ego, the ego is, has all the fear and the need for external approval and oh my God, don't leave me. That's all the ego stuff, the authentic, Self isn't doesn't have all that going on,
0: yeah. And similarly, if you're in a relationship and the partner doesn't respond well to your, I guess, your individuality and your excitement and enthusiasm to embrace life, then that probably represents some kind of a threat to your partner. I'm imagining, okay. oh, she is really out there embracing the world, maybe she doesn't need me so much, maybe she'll leave me if she finds that she can embrace the world and I don't need to be a part of it. So I imagine that that could be threatening to somebody in that kind of circumstance.
1: Right. And that's obviously, you know, codependency and, and also, and I'm not saying that with judgment again, spectrum thing because stuff happens to all of us as children, which is where that all the the seeds for all that behavior, adult behavior is obviously. So it's not a judgment. It's just that that person is still got some codependency, Issues to work through if they're feeling all of that fear, because in a mutually uh, loving, dependent, mutually dependent, not codependent, the trust base is there where that person would want you to soar. Even outside of the romantic thing, Friend, regular friends get jealous. Too. If they're jealous, it's obviously the ego, because yeah. you want to surround yourself with people who are going to be elated. If you get this award or that award, or you're able to get that house or whatever. So something's kind of a, a little bit of a flag. If somebody's not happy that you're happy.
0: Let's talk about failure a little bit. So limitless people don't believe that failure does not exist to them. What is that? What is up with that?
1: That is correct. And I could probably rattle off about 10 people that are saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, Sean Aker, the happiness advantage guy, and also Wayne Dyer. Yeah. So basically, and also mistakes, because those are kind of synonymous, is that we are we are human beings, right? We're all doing the best we can with our circumstances. Oh. So we're human beings behaving and producing results, which points us in a different direction. Somewhere along the line, someone decided to label that as failure if it landed in a place that was not favorable to us, when really it's just pointing us, okay, that didn't work for me, so I'm gonna have to go this way. Regardless yeah. of how that looks, we are all just living, producing results, and being redirected by it, and Sean Aker would say too when he uses the word, he would he would say something simple. that was more Wayne Dyer. Sean Aker would say, "It's we just fall up, right? So if we trip because we made a bad choice or whatever happened, we just like a springboard forward. How do I run with this now?" Yeah, yeah.
0: Actually, the way that you put it, failure is probably not a great word. I mean, it's it's not accurate in this situation. It's like you're swimming down a stream. And there's logs (laughs) in your path that maybe you didn't expect were going to be there. If you ran into a log, you wouldn't call that a failure, right? You just find a way to get around the log and continue along your dream.
1: Right. You know, even something as, as huge as addiction, you know, which nobody wants, right? It's like you look around a little kindergarten classroom on the first day of school and they're all saying, oh, this is my my favorite stuffed animal. And like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Firefighter, president, yoga instructor. I'd like to be addicted to heroin and live under a bridge and have all my family. Like, who says Nobody that?
0: Says, right. Who no says, kid that? says that? So
1: obviously, it's not that. So, so even like addiction, there's so much shame, as I'm sure you're well aware, with addiction, such a connection with trauma and everything else. Is that failure? Or is that? So I guess instead of in that situation, instead of saying what's wrong with you, Isn't it better to say what happened to you? Yeah. You know, instead of labeling things as with all these shame words, instead of just realizing this happened because, you know, like dominoes and now, okay, now it's pointing me here.
0: That kind of leads into this next one I want to ask you about. And this one is, well, you know, psychologists, psychotherapists have a field day with this one. This concept of what we resist persists.
1: Oh, Carl Jung.
0: Yeah, tell us about that.
1: Oh my gosh, Aaron, you're hitting on all the biggies today. I know. Carl Jung, of course, uh, brilliant psychoanalyst from many moons ago. So basically, and also this is actually a big thing also in Chinese medicine. So like typical, right? The whole world, different cultures are saying the same thing. But typically when we dig our nails in to whatever it is, or or as like maybe lay people would say, give energy to it, however you want to say it. Um, if we use a relationship thing again, if we, you know, continuing to resist a relationship is organically ending, it usually blows up a gazillion times worse than if it just kind of ended organically. Or let's say it's a job we're hanging on to that we're no longer happy with and miserable. Maybe there's some politics going on, but we're resisting, resisting, resisting because of the steady paycheck or the, and eventually it, it just gets worse or with a bully. Right. Let's say a grown-up bully, because they they definitely exist. Little ones grow up into big ones, right. and they do the work. And if we continue to resist them instead of kind of yielding, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's counterintuitive, right, Aaron? Because we want to dig in. Oh, I'm thinking of the word here. It's Sanskrit, shenpa. So it's that feeling when somebody says something snarky to us, and we get that, you feel that urge if you just got to say something back. yeah. You know, and, and and so really what we need to do is is resist that shenpa surge and not get into resisting whatever the situation is. Not do the shenpa and just yield.
0: Right. Well, so much of what we talk about in psychotherapy, especially psychodynamic practices, is all about examining resistance. And that's what defense mechanisms are, right? right. So somebody is Finding themselves in a situation and employs these complicated defense mechanisms to protect them from whatever it is that they're afraid of or they're avoiding. And that's the resistance. And the more a person resists, the longer the problems persist. Part of psychotherapy is addressing those defense mechanisms and having the person develop an awareness and understanding of what am I resisting and why, and how is that keeping me from really dealing with this thing that I'm avoiding that's bothering me. So I really, really like that concept. It's so applicable to psychotherapy.
1: Oh, it totally is. And you said that way better than I could. I haven't been in that in the field for a long time. And it's. I do remember, though, exactly what you're saying, Aaron, it, the metaphorical folded arms. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you bump up against that in therapy, that's usually like these flags or, or, or sirens are going like, this is where I need to do the work. Right there, because obviously the obviously those shields go up when the vulnerability is behind the shields. But that's usually just as you're saying. That's where the work needs to be done, and not doing so has has everything that's not working for that person get worse.
0: Exactly. So why do limitless people need to believe it to see it? Tell us about that one.
1: Oh, because okay, this cognitively speaking, right? Our thoughts turn into things thoughts first feelings second actions or behaviors third so so the thoughts we allow to hang around for long enough it's like little thoughts when they grow up they become beliefs and so a belief is kind of an amped up thought because it's in the it's in the hard drive right and so let's say you hear a lot about the manifesting these days right you want that new promotion or the new house or you want a partner or whatever. So you've got to really, and this goes back to self-worth too, because if you don't value yourself, there isn't that authentic partner on on their way right at this minute, right? So really, really believing that your authentic calling is right there. You can taste it to really maybe close your eyes, go someplace quiet. And I've done this a lot and it works well. Feel how you feel when you've gotten the promotion, Feel how you feel when you have landed the partner. Feel how you feel when you've traveled. do whatever, but you have to actually feel it so that when it actually happens, it's not a surprise to you. Really, you're just you're saying because that we know that that's true because again, it's that thought, belief, expansion thing. The universe is not going to throw down what you can't pick up.
0: So when people are just sort of expecting to be disappointed, expecting to be distressed or unhappy then that's what they're looking out for. They're not looking out for this expectation that uh, I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to feel excited and exuberant about what's going on and kind of talking about manifestation that that's the direction that that one would go. I'd imagine.
1: Oh, totally. And I'm, I'm sure you see this a lot where somebody will come in with codependent issues. Let's say she's in a very bad relationship, constantly, man or woman, doesn't matter, whatever, partner who's not treating her well. And then she'll come in again. She'll say, well, Aaron, I broke up with that one. And what do you know? The same one showed up, The same or different (laughs) one showed up next week, wearing a different outfit. Well, that's going to keep happening for her whole life until she does the work. Another, the flip side of that though, is actually a thought just came into my mind. It was the very, very young, 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 young Jim Carrey, like before Dumb and Dumber. I was watching an interview with him he used to go up to the Hollywood, the ledge there up in Hollywood and just close his eyes and do this whole visualization thing. And he talked about you have to feel it like I'm going to make he had none of the connections yet. He's or starting to, but he wasn't there yet, making all these connections. And then after that, he wrote himself a check. I think it was ten million dollars. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was to himself. And he had it in his wallet for three years. And then on the end of year three, he got the he got the the uh, offer for to do Dumb and Dumber for exactly that much money. But he talks about not just like he said, you can't just like visualize and feel it and believe it and sit on the couch and have a sandwich and don't do anything. Like you got to put the action into action into it too. But the thing is, you're not going to be given something you don't believe you deserve. Yeah. Not going to happen.
0: Yeah. So there's work to be done there. It's not just conjuring up an an, an image. Mm-mm. It's, it's really putting yourself in a place where you're imagining where you want to be and believing that can happen and then following the path to get there.
1: Truly believing it. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, like doing some real hardcore reprogramming because as you're, as you're well aware, Aaron, we about 95 to 96% of everything we say and do each day is coming from the vault of the unconscious. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you tapped it into your phone, like you put a word or, or a, the name for your calling or whatever in your phone, but your phone hadn't seen it before. It's spell check is going to go crazy and start throwing things out that aren't what you're talking about. It's kind of like we have to go in and make it recognizable in the unconscious so that when it happens out here, the unconscious is like, okay, I guess we don't need to date jerks anymore. Here, here comes someone that you're ready for.
0: Right. That's paying attention to the whispers, yes. recogni- recognizing the resistance, Yes. paying attention to all of the messages that are coming in that are sabotaging your abilities to be able to open yourself up to this limitless person. Totally. Yeah. One last thing I want to ask you about the mindset, and that's the idea of the calm mind being a powerful mind.
1: Oh, that's huge. Oh, that's very Deepak Chopra, actually. So we, we know, we also know that a busy mind, we mean, I should say maybe like chaotic mind is a very unhappy mind, right? So when we when we can really calm our mind, and this is why I love mindfulness, because we're not trying to create a vacuum, especially for the Fast Mind Club, anybody with ADHD, that's not happening, right? So we kind of just acknowledge thoughts as they sweep in and out. But we can do that, especially with the breath, making very intentional, deep breaths can learn to calm our mind down. And when we calm our mind down and it's peaceful, it starts to know its own power. I mean, think of sitting in the middle of a business. What, what kind of creativity can you come up with? No.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: So we've got to have a very, a very calm mind. And I try to tell my students again, progress, not perfection, right? We, if I was, if I'm more mindful today than I was yesterday, more present, more available, then good for me. If I'm more mindful, calm in the afternoon than I was this morning, good for me. And just like anything we practice, whether it's the violin or soccer or robbing banks or whatever, we get better at it, right? So the more we practice, which is not easy in this fast-paced world, the more we practice calming our mind down, even if it's one minute a day and you get up to five minutes a day, again, you don't have to sit still. You can wash the dishes mindfully. The more we practice that, the better we become, and neurons are very quick. On the average, it takes uh, on average about twenty-one ha- twenty-one days for a habit to shift and stick. So keep that stuff up for three weeks, and it'll get easier.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important point. Just with I do a lot of cognitive therapy work, and I always tell my patients, like, look, these are hard to do. You know, actively looking at your thoughts, trying to reframe them. And trying to change the way you're doing things. And it's hard work, but it sinks in and becomes automatic if you stick with it long enough. It's just so important to stick with these different habits, different ways of examining, thinking, and approaching the way that you do things. But they're just, you need to have a belief and just some faith that things will change if you put in the effort and you become mindful of them.
1: Efforts key, good old fashioned, great. It's kind of like, if somebody starts to play the guitar, right, they calluses at first and it's hard and it hurts. And then a few weeks in, you're starting to play, you know, Margaritaville or something. And again, it all gets, it all gets easier, but it takes commitment and effort. And I don't know anything in life that doesn't take commitment and effort. First the awareness, you got to figure out what's not working for you anymore and what is, and then kind of commit and stick with it and realize to set the bar at do your best, because that's when we can always reach.
0: Yeah, the the uh, example of the musician is a perfect one because it is just painful being a beginning musician and listening to a beginning musician, but it's that hard work and effort turns into the beautiful sonata or beautiful piece of music later. It, it's just not going to come uh, overnight. So it's true with habits of mind as well. Kimberly, this has been a really fun and exciting and interesting conversation to have. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts on this topic of becoming a limitless, limitless person.
1: No, I think we've pretty much covered it, Aaron. I, I would just say that anybody can do it. If you stick with it, it's not that it's for those people you know, who are famous and studying the world on fire because that's why I love skills, actually, because skill sets like reframing and all these things we already talked about, we can all learn and we can emulate people in, in our lives or who are out there you know and we we can learn these skills and and be able to um be, you know sort of tap into our limitlessness anybody can do it if you if you decide to
0: yes well thank you for that and kimberly thanks so much for coming on the show it's really been a pleasure having you
1: well thank you aaron i have had a blast
0: wonderful <laughs> Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, you can go to my website, www.waikikahealth.com. Be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks on your preferred podcasting host to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please take some time to give Mind Tricks a good rating and review wherever you are listening. It really helps get the word out to new listeners. And please like and share Mind Tricks posts on Twitter and Facebook by following your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.